This is MC Fireside Chats, a weekly show devoted to the outdoor hospitality industry, hosted by Brian Searle and Kara Sismadia. You'll hear from special guests that focus on topics to help your business succeed, all backed by Modern Campground, the most innovative news source in the industry. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of MC Fireside Chats. My name is Brian Searle with Insider Perks here again, as always, with Kara Sismadia from the Canadian Camping and RV Council. It's a super interesting day. It's getting cold in Canada, and the wind is blowing and gusting, and I've got a projector screen over here that's probably going to blow over and kill me during the middle of the show. So Kara is prepared to take over in case that happens. But in the meantime, just another exciting week full of awesome things that hopefully result in less technical difficulties than last week did. Super excited to be here with you again on our regular monthly focused campground owner show, talking about those kinds of things. And if you are watching your campground owner and love to be on these shows and share your opinion, we are always looking for, I think, maybe one or two other people to join us as a regular guest. If you'd like to share your thoughts and opinions and maybe help the industry and things like that. But for now, we do have Mike Harrison here from CR Lifestyle. As always, he's got about 30 minutes to talk with us today. So thank you for joining us. We got Joe from At My Community, especially as Mike Sorison from Wild Energy, who's got all kinds of cool things that he's going to share with us about ways that campgrounds can benefit from utilizing electricity, doing all those kinds of things. And my projector screen literally just blow over backwards while I'm watching it, but it hasn't killed me in the front end yet. Anyway, so let's let's have Mike introduce himself because he is our special guest. Mike, you want to tell us a little bit about Wild Energy? And obviously we'll go into detail about your service and things like that, but just a brief introduction of who you are. Yeah, of course. Mike Sorensen, I founded Wild Energy, which is, it started off as electric metering and we're moving into some of the other utilities. And, and I came to the industry from the other side of the fence where I was a camper, camped at lots of different campgrounds. And it perplexed me why I was paying the same price to camp as the big buses and the small tents and one size fits all type pricing. And I would back in my big RV, plug in and say, this is amazing. I get all this free power. And then that's where the idea came from to help the owners recover the cost of providing power, kind of make it more fair for people who are camping, but pay for what you use. And uh, we spent quite a while developing hardware and software, and we've been out in the market now two years, thousands of sites across the country and love doing it. I love being in the industry and it's fun to get out to all the campgrounds and see what's going on. Wow. Sorry. It's literally going to blow over if I jump up anyway. I can't take it down as a projector screen, but anyway, Mike, good to have you. So sorry for the distractions. I didn't plan on any of this happening when I started the show, but it's always something interesting week to week, isn't it, Kara? Probably should have done the show yeah. inside. But anyway, so yeah, we're, I'm really excited to talk to you Mike, about some of your products and how they can benefit the industry and change things and stuff like that. So looking forward to that. Mike, what's new in your world? You've only got 30 minutes with you and I'm going to go try to wait this thing down while you've done. What's new in our world? We're monitoring the RV business, which looks continue to be healthy, right? The mix continues to change a little bit with more long-term annual seasonal snowbirdy type stuff, and maybe a little bit less transient. So the ADR swing a little bit. And then in the manufactured home neighborhood world, which isn't exactly this, we're monitoring maybe 20 seconds ago, just got the news alert that the Fed raised rates by another five basis points. Yucky. We knew it was coming. We thought it was October. That's a third one. That's two and a quarter points in the last two months or so, which is considerable, which affects not just the MH industry, but clearly obviously every industry, discretionary spend and financing and whatever that looks like. Uh, I feel like the last three months, every time I'm on this call, I feel a little bit doom and gloomy, Brian. That's not intended to be. Certainly as business owners and operators, clearly we have to live our life based on understanding what's coming. RV industry continues to remain healthy, but how do we adjust to trends and, and those kinds of things? Well, and I How think it's like it. extreme sway. We went this really crazy kind of exponential growth and then suddenly having to change back the other way, I think is going to be challenging for, for operators. And Kara, in Canada, does it, I don't know, but is it the same type of financial condition are you experiencing inflation and how does the Canadian government work with how they drive financing and what is the situation like in Canada? Yeah, very similar. We have the Bank of Canada actually same thing just yesterday. We had another rate increase. So we 
you're seeing the dynamic here. Inflation is crazy, creating an interesting political landscape here as well. I think it's definitely impacting, like you said, the short-term transient stay bookings. We absolutely have been hearing from campgrounds across the country from members of the association that booking numbers, while not necessarily they are down, they are happening in duration in terms of book, how far out they're booking. So people are booking as far in advance. I think that's directly related to everyone kind of pulling the line and waiting to see what's happening financially in, in this country and, and how that will impact their own wallets and their own pocketbooks and their ability to vacation and plan and all of those things. I think and of where's this going to go in the next several months? We certainly are having, it's having a broader impact in terms of membership as well. I think we're seeing things like some of our energy providers in some of our provinces are lifting pricing and things like that. And so that's having some significant impacts on some of our parks that maybe had great power pricing and now aren't able to access that competitive level of rate. And so that's obviously impacting bottom line, which is tough when we're entering into the lower oxygen here at this time of the year. Most of our parks, the vast majority are getting ready to close here in the next few weeks for the winter, but a lot of their expenses persist through those closed months and being able to plan and sustain expenses when you don't really know what they're going to be is a stressful endeavor, I think. So yeah, inflation stuff is a big hurdle right now. And I agree. I think everyone's just watching and trying to be as adaptable as usual. Yeah, I think normally I use my bling necklace if I'm talking about revenue generation, but I think it's appropriate. You want one? I I also have one that, I also have one that lights up. And then normally during budget season, I use the magic eight ball so we can say, will the Fed raise rates? Will the Fed raise rates again in the next month? And let's see what that's, the magic. That's the way to trade the stock market with that magic eight ball. It works for me, right. John. And the magic eight ball says undetermined at this time. Yeah. Um, yeah. We could go to cnbc.com and determine it pretty quickly. Yeah. 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 And I think, isn't, uh, isn't your, the prime minister of Canada, isn't he, wasn't he on the bachelor last night? That was all the news this morning. Tino. Looks exactly like Justin Trudeau. So I don't know if you saw that, but. Yeah, Justin's been in the news quite a bit the last few days. He can sing Bohemian Rhapsody too. That's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, yeah, he, I think that's specifically what I'm writing, relating to when I mentioned the political impacts of some things. There are opponents of some of the big players are talking about how that excessive spending and things like that at the federal level has really impacted our inflation rates. And there's some back and forth really happening politically discussions about that stuff. I think that will really fuel any sort of political outcomes in this country in the coming probably several months. It is very fiscally minded right now with these Bank of Canada rate hikes and inflation being the way that it is. Cost of living is way up and that absolutely will impact our industry like all the others. I think just like you're talking about, Mike, like nobody wants to be doom and gloom all the time. Nobody really knows what's going to happen, but the best way is just be prepared for the worst case scenario. And then you're great if it's anywhere above. Well, and I think strategic yeah. is to pivot and strategize. If you're considering as a campground owner that maybe you're going to have less shorter term visitors, maybe you re-strategize some of your longer term pricing and get more competitive on some things up to service offerings and things like that. I think we can be considering that guests may travel shorter distance, may prefer to travel shorter distance. Maybe you strategize some of your advertising plans so that you're doing more domestic, closer to home strategy stuff. We've got a couple of parks here in Alberta that are actually offering stay close to home rates. So they're offering discounts to people who live within hundred kilometers of their park or whatever. I think there's ways to get creative and still people will still camp. Just their behavior around it, I think, will shift with the with these changes. Yeah, the real sure. question, I think, the real question is, will I throw Kara off with another pop culture and bachelorette reference? I think that's the more important. And it says, uh, without a doubt. I'm going to show Kara's main job at all times to keep Brian back on track, and it today. Mike is substituting, I guess. For- I know, right, man. What happened? Sorry. It does, take, it does take two to four people to keep me on track every week, usually. Yeah. That's where we have all the guests. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad Mike can help you along with the 
It's throwing me off. That's good. Poor Dustin Trudeau. That, I haven't even, I don't watch The Bachelorette, but I heard all about it. So he's really been on the news. Oh, I don't watch The Bachelorette either with my wife. I heard. <laughs> I'll believe you. This might be the best show we've ever done. I, I don't know. Like maybe more people will watch this if we're not talking about things related to business. I don't know. <laughs> Definitely. Joe, what's new in your world before we talk to Mike about? Power and all this. Oh, uh, nothing. a long discussion with Mike, though. Yeah, nothing too, nothing too exciting. Or I would say, for us, the past four years, August and September, are basically our slowest times. The campgrounds that are in season are winding down. The campgrounds that are out of season still haven't really started winding up. This tends to be our slow time, but it's starting to ramp up now. We're starting to get some new things in. We're I can't really say what we're doing, but we have some bigger releases coming in October. Uh, for our customers, we'll tell you next. Well, so just tell me. I'll keep it a secret. I promise. <laughs> with, with you and all of your one million uh, friends, I think Rose already posted it online. So, Rose gets to skip that new timeline. She will always skip Brian. <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. So, are you guys going to shows and stuff this fall? Yeah, for sure. We're going to be at the glamping show coming up. Uh, we will be at Arvik. We are not going to be incognito trade show busters like Brian. And we'll be going to New York for sure. Yoli, and we're looking into Pennsylvania. Oh, and definitely we're going to Campex in Ontario. I mean, you may sound like a bad thing, Joe. I'm not an incognito trade book show, but I was invited to the glamping show. I'm going to the glamping show. There's <laughs> lots of things down there. KRA invited me. Arvik hasn't got back to me yet. We're going to go to the expo. I'm going to save the expo pass. Hey, we, we've done that before too. Before we actually had a product, we uh, wanted to scout the industry a little bit. And so we did Raleigh, I don't know, five or six years ago, Rose and I came as Expo only. And it was even not going to the session. So you get a lot of insight into what's going on. So it was still worthwhile. And so, yeah, train show season is upon us and very busy. Yeah, I think the yes. thing is I just want to, from a cover room, from a modern campground perspective, I just don't have the time to do the boots and all that stuff like I used to do. So. Is Campex what used to be the Canadian Outdoor Conference? Is it the same thing? No, Campex is oh. Ontario, Ontario's show, specifically that province. Canada's national show will not be until the new year, and it's likely looking to be entirely virtual still, national and some, yeah. some of that still, for sure. Right. It's basically their state show for Ontario. So mm -hmm. it's the Ontario Private Campground Owners Association, I believe. Yeah, they are now called Camping in Ontario. Used to be OPCA. They have a really robust membership base. And then it's a really well put together conference. Lots of people go. I was there for a couple of years before the pandemic. So yeah, I would encourage you to go if you have the opportunity. Yeah, it's a great event. I, uh, I was planning on going to the Canadian outdoor one, but if it's virtual, then I can't do that. Uh, travel is quite expensive to get to your computer, Mike. I understand. Yeah. <laughs> Inflation uh, hurting us now. Yeah. For now, there's still some limitations on us nationally, which are dictating some of those choices. But we look forward to the future and then in person events nationally. I can't wait for that. Yeah, for sure. Good things take time to build. So we'd rather take our time, or you guys would rather take your time and put someone that's fantastic instead of just good, right? Yeah, and we do have a couple of the provinces, like Camping in Ontario, BC Lodging Camp Campgrounds Association has an event next month. So some of our provinces are doing some really cool stuff. And certainly we would never want to overshadow or steal any thunder on those spreads too. So we're very supportive of those events. Shane and I will be attending in BC and I'm super excited to see how that event comes together. It'll be the first hybrid in-person virtual thing up here. And so I'm, I'm Cannot wait to see how that comes together and how we can all gather. I think it's the first one in the industry. Like, I don't think any of the U.S. associations have also done virtual alongside their back to in-person. So. I, I, I haven't seen any. And okay. I'm sorry that I forgot to mention that one. I was thinking of the ones that we're traveling for. So I'm, we'll also be adding some well, I, um, I forgot it too. So I'll, I'll, I'm, and I'm the MC of the conference. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, no, I'm super excited for the one in BC. There's a lot of really great operators out there that I haven't had the chance to shake hands with in, in a few years. I'm excited to see everybody in the room and via the screen for that one, for sure. Can't wait. Mike, you should come to the BC one. Yeah, yeah no. 
Send me the link. Not Mike. Well, both mics. Yeah. Mike. You can come too, Mike. I guess we can see you twice. If we have to see you at Arvik and there, that's fine. I'll, I'll deal with it. But no, Mike, do you sell? Tell us about, so let's dive into wild energy for a minute. Do you do operations in Canada? We are close. We're in, we have to go through certification with Measurement Canada. And that is a lengthy process, but we've started that process and we hope to be able to sell and install in the spring. So we will be at the Ontario show. Uh, yeah. And then hopefully we'll get approved to sell and install in the spring. Tell us about wild energy, right? So heard a lot about you. You've been all over social media. I heard a lot of good things from good people. I think Mike is one of your supporters. The other Mike, I don't know. Mike and Mike. I, I thought we were here to arm wrestle on this show. And we are. Go ahead. Petering. We could have a discussion. I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, tell us about Wild Energy. What sets you guys apart? What makes you different? Why did you enter the space? Kind of your whole little brief background, if you want. Yeah. So just to expand on entering the space, my background is a, is technology. I've been a chief technology officer in healthcare, financial services. This is actually my second startup company, although I've never done hardware before. So I've learned a little a thing or two about building hardware. It's a little bit more difficult than software. Anytime there's a mistake in this hardware, you got to go back to manufacturing and that's a little, little bit painful. So we've learned a few things along the way. And, uh, and I can say that business has changed significantly over the last 12 months. Even we are learning more and more things from our owners and our partners about what we can do with the technology and the data. So we initially start off just as I would say a meter reading company. We're going to automate the meter reading. And, uh, and we're accumulating so much data from these meters that now we're starting to gain insights and use that data in different ways. So we monitor the meters to make sure there's no issues at, at the camp site. We do that with new, a lot of new builds. So interesting story there is we were working with a new build, put in all of our meters before they opened and they energized the park and 30 of their hundred sites were bad. They had issues with the electrical. And so they wouldn't have known that without the data that we were getting back. They had vol voltage issues on the lines in those sites. So that proactively allowed them to fix that before they officially opened the park. And so we see that occasionally throughout parks that we're monitoring, we'll see voltage issues and our staff calls them and says, Hey, we've got a problem with site 35 out there and they can proactively service those before it impacts a reservation or a customer. We're using the data now to spot high energy usage. So we found some interesting things as we put meters in and we can see what's going on. I can tell every time an EV plugs in, as an example, we get a high energy alert on this side and we communicate again with our customers to say, Hey, are you built for EVs? Are you expecting that kind of load? Is it a single run? Is it a daisy chain run in your park that can handle that type of thing? So get a little bit more consultative with them and using that data to help them operate their parks. And then we know which parks can't handle that type of load. So when we see an alert, we let them know so that they can address it. So it's an opportunity to communicate with the customer about expectations of service in the park. And we're doing more on, I would say, on the consulting side with new park builds, what they should plan for and what they should do. We work with a company called Electrical Works, which is also based here in Florida, but they're licensed in 13, 15 states. So they've been a great partner and resource to us on the design, build, and suite. Yeah, and they trade design secrets on what they do when they build parks. So all that to say that our technology has continued to change and we keep investing in it. Portals and interfaces and integrations with the PMS systems out there so that we can do billing better and uh, communicate with the customer better on what their usage is. So a lot of changes in the last 12 months for sure. So I am curious, one thing you touched on, and obviously there's a lot you touch on that we want to follow up with. I'm sure Kara's questions, Mike could talk to some different things or Mikey, whatever we're calling it. But Mike Sorensen, Mike asks, you mentioned that the electrical voltage issues that you were helping to uncover, how common are these parks? Can they be traced back to the contractor you choose? Just not building up to standard or do they recur based on wear and tear or? Yeah, a lot of different factors there. So the number of campsites that you have strung together can affect your voltage load. When you have a high load on all these sites, that drops voltage. And then to your point, wear and tear, if the cable in the ground was put in as direct burial cable, it's not as protective. So if you're doing, if you've got land, re-landscape something, or say you put a Wi-Fi pole in, a lot of times you can nick those cables and now you get groundwater getting into them. And so over time you start seeing degradation of one of the legs of service out to the campsite. So a number of different reasons, and it, it does pop up. We've probably seen it at 
5% of our customers every year, we see something different, it pops up. When you say wear and tear over a certain number of years, is there a, I assume it's expensive to redig this stuff up and redo it, but is there a blueprint or a best case you give to somebody who's developing or renovating a park to, to do this, even though it costs more because it will protect you for X number of years or. Yeah, that, I would defer a question like that to an electrical contract. Okay. I didn't know how involved you were with power. So. Would be okay. able to answer a question like that, but uh, I can tell you, we see more issues with direct burial cable than if they put it in kind, that's for sure. Yeah. We'll have to do that Kara, sometime, have somebody on that can talk about that kind of thing. Cause I think it's interesting for operators to be educated on this. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. I had to that point, I had one, I was just talking to a contractor the other day. He says, I won't do it anymore. I won't put direct burial cable in. They asked me to do that. I tell them to go find a different contractor. It's just not worth it to have my reputation, my license on the line to take that kind of a shortcut, but we still see parks doing it. And I think it depends on the terrain and the weather and wetness. And again, a planner would know that better than I would. Now, do you, and from a monitoring standpoint, obviously all the things you've touched on are great, right? From an operator standpoint, they can see. The spikes in energy and the electrical vehicle usage and you stop these people or charging people more or whatever they want to do as a reaction or a proactive step. Are there ways that you think down the line, or maybe you do this already, that this could also benefit consumers from maybe they want to watch their energy standpoint from a meter, like a seasonal perspective? Yeah, absolutely. And that's a great point. One of the things we did release this year was a consumer portal where they can watch their own meter and see their consumption because they, they inevitably doubt that the doubt, oh, I shouldn't be charged that much for my electricity. So now we give them all the data. They can see exactly when they use it. And seasonal is a great pointer. You know, what I call a weekender, they'll say, oh, I wasn't here all week. We can tell that they left their air conditioning app. Yeah. You left in a hurry on Sunday night and you left your air conditioning on all week. Here's the data to back that up and what was going on. So it, it does get a better insight. And I'll tell you at the parks where we put metering in for the first time, we see the usage and the demand drop by about 25 to 30% consistently. If you go from a non-metered park to a metered park, the overall energy usage drops 30%. It's pretty amazing that it's pretty consistent. And that's really, that's conservation right there. They're conserving a lot of energy. It is less wear and tear on um, the electrical infrastructure. It actually gives you more capacity for things like EVs and electric RVs. And that's all because you've shifted the accountability to the consumer. Now they're responsible for what they use. I was going to ask about EVs. Are you seeing campgrounds starting to shift to servicing them? And does that impact consumption? Are you seeing consumption being impacted by that yet? Yeah, absolutely. So we are seeing, because we can see all these sites now, we're seeing more EVs pop up. We see them stay for a longer period of time and the consumption is double on average. So that's what we've seen is a normal camper that set campground versus somebody with an EV, it double the usage if you have one of those things. And I think that is something to plan for when we start seeing electric RVs show up. So the electric RV is going to be very similar. It has one cable coming out of the RV. It's used to recharge the chassis battery. And that same battery is used for all the appliances, all the heat, all the air. So we'll definitely see more demand from electric RVs than a typical RV that has a mix of propane and electric use. And Are you seeing parks? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Kara, please. Yeah. I'm just wondering if you're seeing it's. Forgive me, because typically Canada is a little bit behind what's happening in the States. And so I'm always interested in paying attention to timelines down there. Are you seeing parks start to shift to more and more to a hundred amp service, or are we still 50 amp in this away? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's one that's often misunderstood, I would say. So most pedals have a 50, 30, and a 20. And, and so it's really about the service coming into the pedestal, whether you can take a full hundred amps. Those pedestals, the 50, 30, 20 is rated for hundred amps at the realistic load that you can put on one of those bus 80 amps. But that does depend on the wiring back to the, the main circuit breaker and obviously the panel boards. So most of the parks we work with do have hundred amp capability, capability to the, to the pedestals. We do have a couple of parks and even one new built park where they only put 50 and they are struggling even in their first year of operation. So they only ran smaller wire, 50 amps to the pedestal. And we've seen a couple of EVs pop in there and they trip breakers. No doubt about it because they uh, didn't put as much capacity in the ground. 
Can you, and Mike, and, I, and you can say no, because I just don't know if you can speak to this, but can you speak to the higher electricity rates and how those are impacting park owners or no? I can. Yes. That's a good segue as well. We saw electric rates shift substantially this year. So we have customer in Hampshire's rates went up 38%. And that just happened in the fall and it's expected to run through the, the spring. And they may sustain it, but they've only committed, communicated that rate increase in six months at this point. But it's, that was the 38%. Florida, we had a 13% increase in our rates here. And then I'm um, looking at my board here. Oh, I'm wrong. New Hampshire is double. New Hampshire doubled. It was Louisiana that went up 38%. California, their rates have gone up. In fact, their peak rates are what's concerning people like California. So middle of the day, peak rate, that could be double or even triple for those hours. And we've been asked to provide, get more sophisticated on the billing of electricity during peak energy hours, because a lot of operators will set their charge recapture at 15 cents a kilowatt. If it's closer to a dollar on your peak rate, um, you're losing out on a huge chunk of cost recapture if you're not dynamically capturing that and rebilling that back to the customer. So we'll have to get more sophisticated with our data and how we pass that back to the PMSs for re rebilling the consumers because of all these rate changes and throughout the day. Do you feel like there's a point where, and I want to let Kara talk about what's happening in Alberta too briefly in a second if she wants to share it, but do you think there's a point where this impacts rate decision-making other than just seasonals, but overnight, is there a point where I, as a park owner, instead of my two, $5, $10 a night increase, do I have to raise it 15 and 20? Yeah. No, you wouldn't do that necessarily, but you, I think what we'll see is the shift from this flat rate on a transit or an overnight to flat rate plus electricity. So they'll break that component out. Otherwise you're just eating into your profit margin. When the energy's up, you made less profit. If the consumer came with an EV, you made less profit or maybe you've lost because they chewed up so much energy. So we are seeing that, <clears throat> that electricity is now being charged at shorter and shorter stays. People are moving from monthly to 10 days or longer. And uh, we have some parts along the interstate that are looking to do daily charge recapture on electricity. But so my question is, how do you offset that in the mind of the consumer? Because I agree with you that there needs to be a way for these parks to, to somehow offset this, especially with these dramatic increases we're seeing in states and in provinces and really everywhere in the world, natural gas and everything else. But how do you offset that from a marketing perspective? Because these consumers are not and have almost never been expected to pay this on an overnight daily rate before. Yeah, it will take a little bit of time and the industry as a whole is part of that education process. We do see it with electric vehicles. If the owner knows you're coming with an EV and you're overnight, I've even seen some of those uh, campgrounds charge us 25 or even I'd see a $50 a day additional charge because you brought EV. So folks that have electric vehicles are starting to hear about this already. Um, from wild energy, you're actually, we're actually going to put time and energy into helping our customers with that marketing effort. So pamphlets and brochures, and this is why you can charge for electric, and this is what it means, and you know how conservation is involved. So the education is an important as aspect of it. And then we are finding that consumers are already aware of it. So they are starting to be aware that, hey, I'm paying for the guy who's charging the EV. Oh, wait a minute. I'm paying for the guy who's got the big Primo's bus, and I've only got this 15-foot travel trailer. So the consumers are becoming a little bit more savvy on that electricity is part of that rate that they're paying and they're subsidizing the folks that are using more energy. So I think I don't disagree with you and I'm just going to play a little bit of hardball with you for a second because I, I understand absolutely the electrical vehicle, right? There's no question if you have an electrical vehicle, that's a very clear link between I need to pay more. This car is drawing where it wasn't drawing it before. But for the people who are doing the same thing that they've always done and coming into the overnight sites, Yes, that's a little bit of education, but that's the same thing as the people who used to, and still do in some cases, break apart the, this cabin includes two people. And if you have three, then we're going to charge you export. Some people will like that and a lot of people will hate that. And so how do I offset that negative negativity from an owner's perspective when the park down my street isn't doing it? Yeah. Yep. And it's funny. We find the biggest complainers are the biggest abusers. They go, they go hand in hand. So when we start putting meters and charging seasonal even. It's the guy with the big fifth wheel that has the three air conditioners that keeps his door open all day. 
and has it set to 62. He's the one that's complaining the loudest about his bill. So you're absolutely right that there are going to be complainers out there. Kind of the analogy is you don't give everybody free firewood. You don't let them come into your camp store to pick out candy bars every day. You're only a dollar. So it is changing the mind to the consumer that you don't get things for free that you're consuming or using. And yeah, and, and I'm not saying I'm playing devil's advocate. Right? I'm yeah. not saying I'm against what you're doing or for it. I don't know enough about it. I'm just simply saying, I think there's a difference between a candy bar that's always cost and firewood that's always cost versus they've got something for free and now all of a sudden you're going to charge for it. Yeah. I think it's valuable to try to help the consumer understand that it's never been free. <laughs> yeah. There are some barriers to this on the other end where I know lots of jurisdictions limit the ability to resell power and a lot of campgrounds have avoided going there because of that because of the concern about getting in trouble with power resale there's a lot of gray area i think regulation isn't clear oftentimes about the fact that it's typically actually you can't resell power for a profit that's right and so that part get, gets missed so i i think broadly it's an education component I do think, given that we're seeing this massive kind of societal expectation to shift your energy consumption behavior on a societal overall level, I think consumers are more receptive to learning about shifting their behavior because we're seeing it in this societal way. If it was just our industry, just the campers, just the, right then, I, I think it would be a bigger hurdle. But given that in a in an overall, almost global yeah. level, we have this expectation to start shifting the way we consume and perceive our energy use and be more responsible about it. And I really think that is, is the catalyst for shifting perspective from, uh, at the consumer level. Yeah, we're certainly benefiting from that. You mentioned the, the, the energy grid and the cost of energy and the shift to electric vehicles. It is in the forefront of every new, you can't go to a news channel or a news story without seeing something energy related. And so the consumer is, is into it, whether you like it or not at this point. Most of it comes down to messaging. So it just depends on the messaging and the type of clientele you have. If you're in certain areas, you're going to, the messaging around it is going to be the conservation aspect. If you're in other areas, it might be the EV aspect. And in other areas, it might be, hey, most of our campers don't use that much electricity, but they're subsidizing the other campers and messaging it the way that smooths over mm -hmm. the majority of your detractors. You're always going to have some, and like Mike said, sometimes there's going to be the worst, the worst offenders. They're also driving a couple million dollar rigs. Right. Yeah, I think it's worth it. Joe, that's a great point. And I wanted to, and I know it's hard to get you in here into this conversation, but I think we can from a camper's perspective, if you're willing to share, like, how do you handle that kind of, how would you look at something like that from a camper's perspective? <laughs> You plan ahead. Do you already try to conserve or, or how does that work for you? I don't know, actually. <laughs> I haven't, uh, we haven't, we haven't ran into it. So we're not seasonal campers. So we never ran into that sort of charging on a daily rate when you were traveling with your family. Yeah. And it would be on and it would obviously depend on the messaging into that. No, my expectation would be that their base price would be lower than the campgrounds around them. Unless they're, unless it's obviously a resort where the campgrounds around them are campgrounds. But my expectation would be that the base price would be a little bit lower. And then, then we were paying for the electricity separate. And so to us, I think we would, I think we would be really okay with it. I'm not 100% positive. Again, it depends on the message. It just happened and it was an extra charge that when they go and I go and I book yeah. and it doesn't, it maybe has a line in the disclaimer saying you will be billed for your electricity. And then I go and I check out and there's an extra hundred dollar charge on there for the yeah. three or four days that I was there. I would not be a happy camper, literally. Yeah. Is there a scenario you could foresee where it might impact your decision of where to stay? Us in particular, no. I don't, I mean, you're traveling a lot of times for different reasons. And so it probably would not. But even if I were traveling normally, as long as those kind of offsets were, the messaging was good and the offset of pricing worked out, I don't think it would, I don't think it would matter to us very much. Yeah, so that's the, that's the million dollars engine, engine that's you, right? As Sorry? We can, 
I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead, finish. I, I apologize. But as I was saying, in regards to conservation, it obviously depended on how much, how transparent that is to us. If if we don't see in front of us how much we're using, it's hard to, it's hard to know. None of us really have that much insight. Right. Most people are running with a, with a meter at all times and, and tracking how much they're using because, as Mike said, it's free. It's like something very new. One of the things I think we build it is so many campers now are coming solar equipped and yeah. have solar on board, but they're still hooking up because it's easier. They're, they they don't have to have their solar panels being used. And no, those people might not even hook up. They'll pay for your, the site and not hook up because they're now getting a cheaper site and just using what's on board to power everything. And you, it's an interesting segue, actually. And I don't know, again, I have all these questions from Mike that you probably can't answer, but maybe you can. We, we need a solar person on the show too. But from a solar perspective, Mike, this data you're collecting, is it possible for you to confer or tell a campground, like maybe it's cost effective now or this usage or this output to switch to solar or put some on your land? Yeah, they work. When we talk about campground power usage, it's megawatts. Those campgrounds are burning a lot of power. And so to put a solar array in that's that big would would take a lot of land a lot of capital expense. We have a couple that have some solar energy. And I would say that they're offsetting their own usage. So they're offsetting their buildings and their pools and they're, they're able to offset their own costs with a smaller solar array, but they're, to build one big enough to power a campground, you'd need a big field and a lot of equipment. Yeah, absolutely. I'd be interested to hear, given that Mike and Joe are both on the ball, how your more tools businesses could integrate. Do you foresee an opportunity to potentially where something like at my community in one of the parks would integrate wild energy's consumer dashboard in their app or something like that. I've got two ideas, but they're not good. So you guys go first. Yeah. I'll let Joe speak to that first. Yeah. So actually Mike and I have talked about it a little bit. The way they have Mike has a website where already that people can go and put put in their meter number and get it. The easy and simple thing is putting it in front of the four customers that we would share. They would have, without us doing any extra work right now, they would have an easy way to go. And here's the site, here's the instructions on how you go and put the number in, where you apply that number on the meter base. And then you can see it and then it will stay with you and you can see it throughout your stay. But we're, we also talked about some other ways we might be able to leverage that in terms of making it easier. Scan your meter base or do integrate with PMS systems. I'm not positive that we would be able to know. But if we can know from their site number in further meter base, and then from their meter base, connect directly to Mike and just show it real time. That's, that's what we would like to do, but it is going to require communication between us, PMS system and Mike. And so it's a little more complex and just what's available in those PMS systems. Cause you know, the meter base numbers are typically going to be custom fields in those PMS systems. And so it's whether or not those would even put it out via API for us to get that information. But that's been interesting. That's, yeah, go ahead, Kara. No, I was just going to say, I know for me as a former operator, like I would love to see that kind of integration and automation in my tool. No, yeah, because I think that's the ultimate answer, like you're talking about, is putting it in front of them, is making it seamless so you can open up your app and here's your state details and here's your meter number, but your current energy usage that maybe you can monitor throughout your tool. And I think that convenience would allow people to bring more awareness to it. And I think that the majority of people would probably adjust their power consumption based on that, whether they're being charged for it or not, is a whole different story. I think there's going to be a lot of people who would do it just based on knowing it. And more people, obviously, are daily overnight rates as well. And I think it eliminates the possibility of that surprise $100 charge or whatever. Maybe not eliminate, but it reduces the possibility of it, right? If the customer is engaged and you've had several touch points and you told them to check in and they have the access to the app and all of these things, the possibility of them being feeling blindsided by it is reduced for sure. And not saying this is something we would do, but the possibilities are there that it could be that Mike, Mike's system has enough data and has an algorithm now that knows, hey, nothing else has been turned on and off except the air conditioner. And it's middle of the day, nothing else has been done. You can send a notification out to those people saying, hey, you're not there tomorrow. If you're doing the same thing, Turn off your AC or move your AC up 
to save money they, throughout the day. Because when you're camping, you spend half the time or more away from the RV. Right. Unless you have animals, then AC just runs now and you can't turn it off if you're in Florida in the middle of summer because okay. or if you have any chocolate in your rig, it's not going to be chocolate anymore. But you can at least turn things up or and do something else to conserve. And again, it's one of those things that right now, it's not in the forefront of my mind. It would be if I was paying that as waste. Yeah, and you guys are touching on an important point that we hope to do with either one of the PMSs or Joe or somebody is more communication to the end consumer. So we do have data about the average in the park or, hey, it's going to be a hot day today. These are things you could do to conserve. So giving the consumer the option to sign up for those types of alerts or see those types of messages or know when they're over the average, I think the communication through an app or through another means is an important thing that we'll look to do in the future. And this, see, this brings me to my bad ideas, which we really need a lawyer on the show for, but I feel like communication, number one, I agree with you, right? Before I get to this ridiculous, episode. but I think the communication is right. Like again, we've talked about making the consumer aware and they'll probably do a better job and do that. But there, there could be, you could have a consumer ranking system. Like I want to save earth to, I want everyone to die in global warming and you just rank the consumer based on their energy usage during their stay. You could send them push notifications that are automated. So right. they, they leave their AP on and it's hot out. You could send a push notification that's automated that says, listen, I know it's hot out, but really, come on. You could guilt trip them through push message, push notifications, Joe, all those kinds of things. Why not? Why not? Make everybody. I'm a, I'm a, they can be good push notifications, right? Send them a push notification for thanks for turning off your air. Just save the oh. air or something. I don't know. Yeah. You win the conservation award. Here's your gift. Yeah. Yes. That's, that's not a bad idea. You get a free ice cream cone. Like legit, this is right. a terrible idea. But the reward system is not that bad for saving energy. Right. You could reward them with things from your store or free stays or discounts or whatever right. you want. For conserving energy. So that see, like even my terrible ideas eventually lead to something. See, I would spot uh, the net. Sometime. Bonfires, Mike, do it. <laughs> Most of the time, not. My other terrible idea is they just need to work off. If you can't resell power, and maybe this is probably not legal and you should not listen to anything I'm saying, could you just have your, could you put the bikes in your fitness room that generate electricity and force your campers to work off their bill? Yeah. And then the profit that way? Yeah, that's right in the, sorry, John, you've got 30 more minutes. Pedal faster if you want to go to the pool. It closes. Bad idea. Sounds I'm just saying it. it wouldn't be reselling electricity. It's a profit center. This is what I'm here yeah. for. Yeah. There's a whole new ballgame. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love all of this. I really think this really speaks to, as all, as I say all the time, the ingenuity of our industry and great things are happening with all of our automations and things like that. I remember in my day when we first installed meters at our sites and having to walk around the clipboard, <laughs> note down. Uh meter numbers and things like that. The times have really for sure changed and that's great to see. I think Brian and I always, I think we get in trouble sometimes for talking about automation too much, but it's a really valuable to enhance efficiency and all of those things. I applaud both, both of you gentlemen, all three of you actually for all the ways we've been that crowd. We'll give Brian some credit too, but yeah, some of the ideas are all right. But yeah, I'm super excited to see stuff like this continue to happen. I really think the energy conversation is just obviously it's everywhere right now. It's top of mind for everybody. And we're having, like I mentioned earlier, some issues in some of the provinces with, with providers and pricing and things like you that. on that? Because I've been meaning to ask you. I just haven't had a chance to work it in yet. Yeah. Vaguely uh, or however you need to But I think it's an issue that could happen in any state. Yes. Some of our, we have had some issues with some previous association client group access to vendors come apart because of the way the market has been in the in recent months. And we're in a situation where several members are suddenly facing a pretty significant rate hikes because they were covered under this really valuable member program prior. And now suddenly, as of not long from now, won't be anymore. We are facing the prospect of paying retail and that has significant implications for their bottom line. I think that's something that's a barrier to understanding for some consumers as well is things like that happening at a small business level have significant implications specifically for our seasonal parts who charge slot rate from season and typically charge that price in April or whatever. And then by the time September or October comes around, their expenses could be a completely different ball game. Certainly that's the, a, a risk factor that an operator has to bear when making business decisions, but Sometimes it can be extravagant. We have 
some members suddenly having to recalculate seasonal rates for next year because of this, the direct implications of their power pricing changing so quickly and unexpectedly. Right after they made some of them have done recent rate, hike, rate hikes in the prior couple of years. And so now you're looking again. And, and so we risk those consumer upset things we were talking about earlier. It does have implications across the board for consumers as well, I think, and that in this environment where inflation is big and we're all watching our pocketbooks could have an impact on the industry as a whole and the number of campers we have cutting out and all of those things. So we want to be on top of issues like this and pay attention to what's happening. And I really think it does make a big taste for the manager and conversation. My suggestion for sure to those couple of parks that have been facing this issue recently is to install meters and start sharing that information with their guests. I think campers typically, was mentioned earlier, don't really notice or aren't cognitively aware of how much their consumption is. And so giving them that tangible data is so super valuable. I think even if you're just sharing it with them for information purposes, but certainly is valuable to the operator to be tracking and charging back for those expenses and motivating, ultimately motivating the consumer to, to change their behavior in a positive way for everybody. That's what I was going to say when you were talking too, is even if you don't take action right away to meter overnight sites, if you can figure out a way to monitor it and give that to the customer as a line item or even a, a push notification on Joe's app that says you saved X amount of dollars yeah. mm -hmm. that you otherwise would have spent on electricity. And yeah. then just getting that into the mind. And if enough campgrounds do that, then I think that helps shift the mindset before there's action taken too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think all these are great ideas. I'd love to see campgrounds continue to innovate like this. And it definitely will have an impact on the market. For sure. Yeah. Carrie, you brought up a good point, which is when you try to factor electricity into your rates and you've sold the spot and you've already locked in that rate, have you locked in next year's electrical increases? Probably not. You might get burned by that. And yeah. it's hard to forecast what the rates are going to be. Yeah. The market has been so volatile. If we continue to see rate hikes and all these kinds of things happening fiscally, I think it's going to be harder and harder to make that those kinds of pre-assessment. And so shifting to a model like this is probably valuable long-term so that it becomes almost a non-issue. Like Joe said, maybe your flat rate is, your seasonal rate is a bit lower, but your your variable expensing that are being impacted by consumer behavior are covered at, on the bottom line side. I think so one thing that's already right. had Mike and switching gears a little bit is what does a retrofit look like for you? What is it just changing out meter bases or is there more to it for the campground owner? It's pretty simple. If you already have meters and the curious point, you're done with the clipboard and you want to get the data and make billing easier. It is simply pull out the old meter, plug in the new meter. It's pretty damn simple. The campgrounds that don't have meters, it's a little bit more complicated. You have to rewire the pedestal a little bit, but while that's more work, the return on that investment is ridiculously short. So. What's ridiculously short? Five, it can be four or five months, depending on your rates and how much energy you're recovering. Yeah. And really the quickest you've ever seen somebody do it. Four months. It's a new record for you to break, Mike. Next time I talk, it's going to be three and a half. California, I have some options, some things in California that might break that record. Like, yeah. yeah, no rush. <laughs> It is, it is interesting though, like, and I think that, I think you're right that the industry maybe end up, ends up moving in this direction and maybe it's a good thing given the power fluctuations and things like that. But I think it's all going to depend on a lot of the timing and marketing and effort. And, and I think it's also going to depend on when you decide to deploy this. We've talked a lot on this show and at the beginning of the show about how inflation is hitting consumers. And if you're going camping and you're still budgeting that in and you can choose between a park that's going to meet your electricity and one that isn't. It's going to be tough for a little bit. I'm just saying for parks to decide to implement this. Is it impossible? No. But I would make the adverse argument, Brian, is I'm going to reduce my flat rate and here. If I'm currently charging $65 a night to stay and instead I'm going to charge 55 plus power. Now the consumer has the ability to alter their behavior to save some money. And I and agree I with you. If that offset is in place. Absolutely. I'm not saying I have the answer. I'm just talking to the option. Exactly. And me too. I think we can see this from multiple angles. And as an operator, you prioritize that 
ability to impact consumer behavior, or at least give them more control over what their expenses or just recoup their costs. It will be up to individuals as they go and may take some trial and error stuff. But I think for me as a camper, I love the idea of being able to I'll pay the flat rate and I'll pay extra because I've got to bring all my teenage kids' friends with me when I go. <laughs> and I'll pay extra if we use too much power. But if not, I'm happy to get a lower rate. But the question is then is do all campground is you at the campground owner? Would you automatically lower your rate if you had no other competition in the area and no one was comp competing and you could still charge $65 a night and charge electricity? Right. Would you automatically lower it? I don't think yep. those camps are important. There's, right. There are many variables to this kind of. Uh, I know. So We've got we, one minute and 20 seconds to talk through them all. So shut up and listen to me. It depends <laughs> entirely on, in my opinion, on your customer base, your business model, or you want typically longer term stay. It also depends on the level of amenities you offer. It, there are a variety of right. things happening to, in that decision. And I think every operator out there is aware of that. They will have to make their decisions. I'm just saying for me as a camper, if I'm concerned about my energy consumption or about pinching my pennies, I might choose the campground who gives me a lower rate manage power on a metered basis so that I can, those are priorities for me as a consumer and that's a choice I'm going to make. Not all of us are going to choose or prioritize those same choices. Of course not. Yeah. Yeah. So I think campgrounds will have the ability to, I would say there is room for many of us in the market. The market will always dictate, but I really think it's a great way to um, strategize going forward in, in the way the environment is right now with both energy and inflation, cost of living things, variables for sure. Awesome. Any final thoughts, gentlemen? We're running out of time here. Joe, Mike? Nothing here. No, we could talk about this for quite a while. I think the whole rate design and market capacity and all of those dynamics that care about our factors for sure. Awesome. Mike? Definitely reach out to BC's association too, because I think if you're going to expand into Canada and you're going to Ontario already, you should definitely talk to Joss over there at BC. He runs a great association, even if you don't make it to this year's conference. So thank you everybody for joining us. I really appreciate you, you being here for another episode of MT Fireside Chats. I think it was a great discussion. I think as Mike said, we can have more shows on this and we need to involve the solar guy and Apollo guy and things like that and close the leap on all this. I mean, there's really endless education we could do in the industry, but Kara, anything you want to say before we sign off? No, I've slapped my gums enough today. <laughs> No, I like your valuable insight is always missed here in between my non-valuable insight. So it balances the show out. Okay. Uh, thank you guys. I really appreciate it. Next week, we've got our RV industry focus show. Hopefully we'll have a few people on there that can talk about the RV industry that have been missing uh, over the last few weeks and, uh, during the summer for all the commitments that they've had. And I think we're going to have a fitness guy on to talk about the electric bikes, maybe generating power. If we could find somebody right. to do that. Can't wait. If not, then we'll just have the RV industry people. But thank you guys. We'll see you next week. Take care. Thanks for watching this episode of MC Fireside Chats, hosted by Brian Searle and Kara Sismadia. Have a suggestion for a future show or want to see your campground or company as part of an episode? Email us at hello at moderncampground.com. Join us next week for another episode. And don't miss the latest outdoor hospitality news and commentary from around the world at moderncampground.com.